It's good to have you at Freedom today and a joy to welcome in those of you who are now tuning in online to uh, worship with us. Or maybe you're catching this later in the week uh, in an archived version. Either way, glad to have you uh, take part in what's happening at Freedom. Uh, we have been in a series this summer entitled Unexpected Heroes, and uh, I hope that you have enjoyed that. I, I enjoy the stories from the Old Testament. But uh, if we're honest, a lot of the characters that we've talked about so far have been the kind of heroes that they wind up either leading in battle or, you know, leading a nation, or they're, they're kind of in positions that most of us are never going to be in. And in some ways, that can make that part of their story, story hard to relate to. And today is going to be the big exception to that. Today is going to be a completely different kind of story. Today is going to be a love story. How many of you, by a show of hands, love a good love story? I see a few men in the room willing to raise their hands. That's, that's all right, guys. It's good to love a good love story. The, the thing that makes this just stand out in stark contrast is where this love story falls. Now, uh, most of the last several weeks, we've been in the book of Judges. And, man, the book of Judges, it's like a rated R movie for blood and, and violence. You know, it's just all this killing and fighting that's been going on. And if you look at the flow of the Old Testament, it really is, at first glance, it's kind of odd because, you know, you've got the whole Exodus story and four books of the Bible, you know, mighty Moses leading in this, this whole great adventure through the wilderness for 40 years, and then Joshua for years leading in the conquest of the land, and that's followed by Judges. 300 years of this roller coaster ride of sin and disobedience and repentance, and then God raising up a judge, and we fight the battle, and we fight off the oppressors, and six different times you repeat this, and about a bazillion people die in the book of Judges. And then we're going to jump from the period of the Judges straight into Samuel and Kings, where Saul, and then David, and then Solomon, and, and then the divided kingdom after them. It's the, the monarchy and all of the, the you know, stuff that's going to happen under these great leaders, and some of them lousy leaders, but all of these adventures. And sandwiched right in between all of that, between the judges and Samuel, we get this little book of Ruth. A love story thrown in in the midst of all of this fighting and killing. And, and God says, but I want you to see another side of life. And he gives us the little tiny book of Ruth. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Ruth. And that's probably not one that some of us are real familiar with. So if you're looking for it in the Old Testament... Joshua, Judges, Ruth. If you get to Samuel and Kings, turn left. The, the book of Ruth takes place, as I said, the, that the period of the Judges was about 300 years. Ruth takes place somewhere during the final 50 or 100 years of the period of the Judges. And I'm going to just take several minutes to tell you the whole story. And I encourage you, if you haven't read Ruth in a long time, go home today or this week and just read the story. It only takes you 15 minutes to read the whole book. It's that short. But I'm going to just tell you the story. And then I'm going to rewind and we're just going to talk about a few things in there that are, are instructive for us that are really worth taking home in that story. But first, just the story that unfolds there. We begin in Ruth with two characters who are just a Jewish couple living in Bethlehem. Their names are Naomi and Elimelech. If you're going to have kids or grandkids and you're looking for a name, there's a keeper. Elimelech. Naomi and Elimelech. They're just a nobody couple who live in Bethlehem. Yes, that Bethlehem. The Bethlehem that David's going to be born in. The Bethlehem that Jesus is going to be born in. And the first thing that happens in the story is a famine comes upon the land. 
That's not such a big deal for us today. That just means we're going to pay more in the grocery store. Not so back then. If a famine came for one year, you probably could survive it living where you are. If it's a multi-year drought and famine, you're probably going to have to relocate to keep from starving to death. This was a lengthy, prolonged famine. So they had to pack their stuff and move to another land. And so they left Bethlehem. They went east. They went all the way around the Dead Sea over to the land of Moab. Everybody say Moab. Doesn't sound like a happy place to live, does it? They've had to leave not only their home city, but leave their country and go to to live among the Moabites. And when they get there, they have taken with them their two sons. Their names are Machlon and Kilion. Tell me that's not a couple of Klingon names right there for the for the you know Star Trekkies in the room. So it's Elimelech. Naomi, Machalon, and Kilion have gone to Moab to live. And the, the three major things that happen when they're in Moab. First of all, the sons, they are of age, and they start looking for women, and they find a, a couple of Moabite women that they fall in love with, and they marry. One of them's name is Orpah, not Oprah. It looks like Oprah, but Orpah and Ruth. They get married. That's the first major occurrence. The second major occurrence is daddy dies. Elimelech. He disappears during the first act of the story. And that's a major thing because men played such a big role. Men were the ones who, who, they were the ones who made the money. They were the ones who made decisions. They were the ones who had standing in the community. So for the dad to be removed from the picture put the family in great jeopardy. And then the third thing that happened in Moab that was really just a double whammy is that both Mahlon and Kilion died. And so now we're left with just three women in the family. Naomi Orpah and Ruth with no men left whatsoever. So they were incredibly vulnerable. And and this was a time where women had not only no standing, but there just were were essentially no jobs for them. I mean, for a single woman, for a a widow, it it was very, very difficult to keep food on the table and keep your clothes on in the process. It, It was that kind of environment. Very, very difficult situation for them. And so the question becomes, what are we going to do now? We've been 10 years in, in this land, and you know, now there's not a famine back home, but what are we going to do? And so Naomi decides, I'm going back to Bethlehem, and the two daughters-in-law say, well, we'll go with you. And so they start the journey back, and they're not too far down the road when Naomi stops and says, looks at her daughters-in-law and says, this just doesn't make sense. I'm going home to my people to try and make a new life for myself, but what are you doing? Because you don't have anybody there. You're not even Jewish. And she said, if I got married and had a son in the next year, what good's that going to do you? Are you going to wait around 20 years to have kids by them? That wouldn't work. You, you two just better go back to, to your home city and just try and make a life for yourselves there. And Orpah said, okay, sounds like a good idea to me. And she checks out. And Ruth, in response to that, She says that thing that you've heard many times before. If you haven't read it in the scriptures, you've at least heard it at weddings. It's interesting because these words are not between a man and a woman. They were spoken by Ruth to her mother-in-law. But she said those famous words in response to Naomi's appeal that she should go back home. And she said, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. For where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Isn't that such a classic, wonderful passage? And in response to that, Naomi says, okay, you can come with me. Now, the the thing that's really striking as you read through chapter 1 is to find how 
these same events that have unfolded for both Naomi and for Ruth have had such a different effect on the two of them because Ruth in, in this whole exchange is so willing to flex and, and just do whatever she needs to do. And Naomi in all of this has just become hurt, angry, and bitter. And she says to her daughters, as bad as this was for you, it ain't as bad for you as it is for me. Don't you love people like that, that no matter what you're going through, they've got to tell you, you think your situation is bad, well, let me tell you about mine. You think you're sick, you think you had a bad surgery, let me tell you what a worse one I had. You know, so Naomi, she says that, she says, you think it's bad for you, it's worse for me. And in fact, when she gets back home and they arrive and the women all say, glory be. After 10 years, could this be Naomi? And she just cuts them off. Says, don't even call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Because Mara means bitter. And so she's being a drama queen in this. Just don't even call me by my name anymore. Just call me the bitter woman. Because I'm bitter at God. God's been mean to me. And I'm mad at God for it. I mean, that's basically Naomi's response right now in the story. So as they, they arrive and they begin to, to try and figure out how they're going to make a life for themselves, you can imagine they arrive essentially broke. And so now how are we going to put food on the table? And they arrive at the time of the barley harvest. And Ruth says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll go out into the, the field. I'll find a field where they're harvesting barley and I'll glean there. Now, in their day, there was no welfare system. There was no unemployment uh, check to be collected. And so... The closest thing to, to any welfare plan that they had was at the time of the harvest, if you weren't employed by the person who owned that field and you didn't have a field to harvest, you could go out and you could glean behind the harvesters. You couldn't go into the unpicked areas and, and pick anything, but you could just stay behind the harvesters and anything that fell on the ground or that got overlooked, you could pick up those occasional stalks of grain. Now, as you can imagine, you couldn't make a living doing this. But you could just keep from starving. You know, if you stayed at it all day and you collected the few heads of grain on the ground, you could make probably a meal or two for yourself and, and you know, maybe a, a mate. And it would be a tough way to make a living, but you could just barely keep from starving during the harvest season. And so Ruth said, I'll go out and do that. So she goes out. She starts early in the morning. She goes to the field of a man named Boaz that she has heard was a close relative of her father-in-law. And so she probably thought, well, maybe, you know, he'll be nice to me and let me glean there. And so she gets in behind the women who are harvesting. And for hours she's gleaning. And when Boaz finally comes in, he's a man of standing in the community. And, and when he goes to check on things, he asks his foreman and he says, who is that young lady back there that's gleaning behind the harvesters? And, and he says, oh, her name is Ruth. And she's come in from, from another country. And he goes, oh, I know who you're talking about. I've heard her story and just all that she has done for my relative Naomi. And he, he's moved by that and he immediately goes to her and he says, Now, listen, ma'am, I don't want you to go and look for other fields to glean in because you might get hurt. He, he understood the situation. It would be so easy for a, a single woman alone like that to be taken advantage of. And he says, I don't want you to be harmed. And so you just stay near the women who work for me and you glean behind them. And as they go from field to field, you just stay in my fields. And he said, uh, if you get thirsty when my men draw water, you just come and you drink from the water that they've drawn, just like my servants would. And, and you just stay with our group. And she just says, you know, that, thank you that 
you're, you're being more than kind to me. And so when uh, lunchtime rolls around, which is about six hours into their work day, and his, his workers come in to eat. Of course, she doesn't have a sack lunch to bring to the table. But he says, you, you come on in and eat with us. You take some of our bread. You share in our wine vinegar. And here, have some roasted grain with us. And so she eats with them. And uh, they, they have an exchange where... He's, he uh, lets his foreman and, and his men know, I don't want you to touch this woman. And he speaks to them then away from Ruth. He says, I don't want you to let any harm come to her. And in fact, I want you to make sure that you leave behind plenty of grain, even if you have to pull some out of your sheaves that you've collected. You make sure wherever she's collecting that there's a grain 